How are you? Good morning. You doing well? That video fires me up a little bit. I don't know how, how you hear that and interpret it. My name's Andy, and I'm, I'm really, truly grateful for the day today and to get to kind of kick this series off. Um, this week, I was rummaging through some books on my uh, bookcase, and I came across uh, this uh, book, and it's a 240-year history of my family on my father's side. My middle name is Cavett, C-A-V-I-T-T. So this is the story of the Cavets. And it's a really interesting read. And as I spent some time looking through it, I learned that my family was attacked by Indians and we took land all over the country and where we come from. And I didn't know all that history until I picked up this book and I realized that I'm part of something much bigger. There's a legacy to my name. And the writer of the book said this, that we, the intention of this book is to look backward that we may gather the courage to go forward. And so in our series, Rooted, we're looking backward on the history of us as a church. This history goes way back, actually spans thousands of years and roots us directly to what Jesus said. Look at the slide here for a second. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to build my church. This is not your church. You're not doing, I will build my church. It's going to be so powerful that the gates of hell will not be strong enough to destroy it. So we're going to take six weeks and we're going to study six different expressions of Christian faith and Christian tradition with the goal to highlight and lift up those things that we can celebrate. So next week, Pastor Ben's going to talk about the contribution that Lutherans have made to the story and the experience of church. One week, we're going to talk about Methodists. One week, we're going to look at how Pentecost and Pentecostals and Charismatics have influenced the church in a positive way. And today, I get the honor of talking about Catholicism. I want to talk to you for a few moments about how Catholics have shaped our faith. And the purpose of this series has to be said very clearly. Our purpose is not to simply point out the differences. We want to highlight those areas that we agree upon. This series, I believe, can have the power to foster some communication among family members who might wear different labels of Christian tradition and who find it very difficult to talk about those differences in an informed and in an enlightened and in a kind way. Now, there are very important distinctives between Christian traditions. And we hold some things as important to us as we understand Scripture. So the purpose of the series isn't for us to let go of those things, but it is to embrace with equal commitment the words of Jesus In John chapter 17, this is what Jesus says. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they may be one heart and mind with us. So something's going on here. He says, then the world might believe that you, in fact, have sent me. There's something very powerful about unity. The goal of unity is that people will have an accurate 
picture of the character and nature of God. The second thing that happens when the church practices unity is that it's actually a redemptive tool in the heart of those watching us. And I would say that we've practiced too long the things that divide us. We are too quick to point out who's right and who's wrong. And a watching world will know the heart of God better and more clearly when we can point out what binds us together. In fact, this is such an important idea that Paul writes to this young pastor and he gives him some guidance on how to handle those points of differences, those things that might possibly divide us. This is what he said to Timothy. Again, I say to you, don't get involved in foolish arguments, which only kind of upset people and make them angry. God's people must not be quarrelsome. They, they must be gentle, patient teachers of those who are wrong. Be humble when you're trying to teach those who are mixed up concerning the truth. For if you talk meekly and courteously to them, they're more likely with God's help to turn away from the wrong ideas and believe what is true. You see, I think if we're honest, kind of our, our sinful nature sort of prompts us to take swipes at things that we don't understand. And I just want to give you permission to, you don't have to unfriend people to make your point stronger. You don't have to point out where they're wrong so that you feel more confident. You can, you can trust in the power of humility and listening and seeking to understand and saying, hey, tell me more about that. So we have some things to really talk through. And, and in fact, if we were trying to kind of look at this series in one big idea, it's this, that we have real similarities, we have real differences, which call for real gentleness. So let me give you some things that I think Protestants can celebrate and lift up and even learn from our Catholic brothers and sisters. If you'd like to take notes, I would encourage you to do this. But here's some things that I have thought of this week. First thing that I think we can celebrate is that how Catholics have helped us to cultivate a God-centered faith. The Catholic Church, I believe, has done well at cultivating a faith that is centered on the person and the nature of God. Isaiah Chapter 43 says, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for what? For my what? Glory. I've created people for the purpose of my glory, not theirs. It was I who created them, God said. See, Christianity at its core is theocentric. It's all about God. It is all about God. It's about his agenda. It's about his kingdom advancing. It's about the things that he wants to do in the future. Narcissism is a belief that it's all about me. That my sole motivation is to meet my needs. To satisfy my desires. You know, the other day, a narcissist was praying and he says, God, enough about me. Let's talk about you and what you think about me. 
See, now, I think the Protestant church, in response to some of the, the distance and the mystery and the awe of God, the Protestant church appropriately said, let me make, God, I think, is personal. And I agree with that. I think Scripture points to something that we should celebrate, a God who wants to know us, wants a relationship that's characterized by intimacy, but that doesn't have to come at the cost of Him receiving glory. And I think if we were kind of honest this morning, we might say that as we search back to some of the songs that we sing, some of the prayers that we pray, some of the conversations that we have in Protestant churches, it sounds like the purpose is to bring us glory. That God is nothing more than a very good life coach. That he can help me with my finances. He can make me a little more popular. He can help me get a little farther on the job. Instead of a God that sits on the throne, he's a God that's in a vending machine in which we yank on and we punch the button and we get what we want. And if we don't like it, we kick the machine. I mean, when was the last time you heard this? I don't get anything out of that sermon. So the sermon must be wrong, right? Because you didn't get anything out of it. I don't like any of these songs. You know, these are spiritual lasers and lights. And why are we singing songs that we hear on the radio? This is church. Not that anybody ever says that. Or you said that here talking about life point my old church <laughs> i know what the bible teaches you know i know what the bible teaches on forgiveness but if i do that that's gonna that's gonna cost me so i i don't think i'll do that you know god isn't answering any of my prayers you know i've told him what i want why isn't he answering those See, I think many of the doctors and the religious practices of, of the Catholic faith have contributed to cultivating an awareness that God is God. And, and it is ways, he, he's, it, it, it's a faith that can be rooted in finding great comfort and knowing that His glory is what comes first. And that my life, your life, our family, the things that we have are to help point people to Him. Him. Number two. I think the contribution that I'm grateful for is very similar to the first. Is that I appreciate how the Catholic Church has cultivated mystery and awe. And I think there's something that we can learn. We can embrace the concepts and the theology and the, the practices where there's mystery and there's awe to God. Awe simply means a, a fair amount of respect and wonder. See, when faith is built on the supremacy of God, when you stand on that, that God is holy and He's supreme, then you can embrace more that you're not going to understand all that. Because you're, you're human. My children are, are young. They're 10 and they're 9 and... and um, as their father, I will often tell them what we're going to do and what they've done wrong. And in fact, the other day, one of my children uh, was sleeping in their clothes at bed, just decided to not change their clothes. And I said, change your clothes. Don't sleep in your clothes. And they began to tell me why that was a, an okay decision, that you know they had thought about it and that they were comfortable sleeping in their clothes. 
To which I said, I don't care what your opinion is. Change your clothes. And they got very mad at me. And I think to myself, as, as children, it's, it's interesting to me that they have such a limited perspective of life, and yet they think their opinion's always right. And I started thinking, and God said, you're a lot like that, Andy, towards me. You have a very limited perspective. And you have this odd ability to think your opinions and your interpretation of the circumstances are right. And sometimes they're not. Look at look what happens here in the Old Testament. This is one of the writers. This is God speaking. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, you trace the actions of devoted Christ followers, and you see them embracing this reality, just like my children need to embrace and understand, that there is a difference between our Heavenly Father's thinking and understanding and sometimes my thinking and my perspective. And I have spent so much of my time arguing and resisting instead of saying, God, you're sovereign. And there is a degree of mystery to you that I will not understand. And there is freedom in embracing that. Job chapter 11, if you're familiar with this uh, patriarch of the church, he had a horrible experience has happened. Lost his family. I mean, everything just got swept out from underneath him and he was struggling and, and, he, and he comes to this conclusion. Can you solve the mysteries of God? Boy, I sure have tried. Can you discover everything about the Almighty? Such knowledge is higher than the heavens and who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And why is a Protestant faith, are we kind of, coll- kind of collectively uncomfortable with, with this sense of, yeah, we, God is not going to play in the sandbox all the time. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. A few weeks ago, we were down in Atlanta as a team at a, at a leadership event, and Pastor Ben set up this little adventure for us called uh, Adventure Escape. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I think I've got the title right. But the idea is that you, you come into a room, and it's got three rooms. So one builds on the other, on the other, on the other. You come into one room, and you've got, to un- you've got to solve all these riddles. So there's all this stuff around the room, and you have a limited amount of time to try to solve the riddle. And as the more, the more riddles you solve, the clearer it will be for you to get to that door. So then you go through the other door, and there it is, and a whole other set of riddles, and you try to solve those riddles, and then that'll take you to the next room, and all within the hour. So Pastor Ben's calmly kind of looking through the riddles and solving them. Will's yelling at us. It was very inappropriate. Lisa and I are just trying to exit. We're like, we're done. We're done. You know, this is... This is just so way confusing. But the more I started thinking about that experience, I started thinking how sometimes we approach God like that. He's just a riddle to solve. It's not a relationship to have. Come on, there can't be mystery, God. I've prayed you should, you should heal me. Come on, God. I've asked you should answer. 
And the history that, that's found within the Catholic faith, as, as well as much of the, the Protestant leadership, is that there, there's sometimes there's something very powerful in not understanding and knowing. It's very interesting when you start to search this stuff and you start to see, well, how, how do we cultivate mystery? How do we cultivate a sense of awe? And one of the practices of the ancients, and still found within the Catholic Church, is the practice of silence. Silence. And the Benedictine monks, they practice these vows. They'll take vows of silence. They will not speak. And the purpose of that is to open themselves up to and engage God in a way that they might not if they're constantly talking. And the more that I read about this, the more I was intrigued by it. And I was thinking how interesting this is because we live in such a fast-paced society that if I send this text, I expect an immediate reply. If, if, I, if I go send this off to Amazon, I want it to be back quickly. And now they're going to start dropping drones on us to get it to us within hours. Because, you know, two days is just way too long. Way too long. And I'm, 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 I'm all for that technology. But that doesn't work in your theology, That just doesn't work with God. He didn't read Henry Clown's book on boundaries. He just didn't. And it's interesting in the silence that they say when you speak, they give some very particular guidelines on then how you must have conversations. And I just want you to think about this as a tool for how we all talk to each other, how we use social media, how we talk about each other. Listen, listen to this. This comes right out of their playbook. Conversations are to be guided by charity and moderation. Useless and idle words are universally forbidden. How much better would we be as a faith if we just said, those words are forbidden? What would happen in our faith if we paused this week? You paused. You found time and space and you, you spent five minutes a day. And you said, God, here I am. I'm listening. And then you just listened. Does that terrify you? Why? Why are we unwilling to do that? Have we distilled God down to a delivery boy? One of the other things that I love and I so appreciate about the Catholic Church, and we're watching this now with their their pope, their latest pope, is how they serve the poor and the marginalized. Pope Francis just appears to embody this most attractive quality of the tenets of his faith. In fact, there's some images that we've got here on the screen that you can see. This is the Pope kissing a man with an incredibly painful skin disease. There's other pictures of him embracing children. And one more. All these images of him just finding people and drawing them in and welcoming them. And the the people without even, all of us in this room lean to that and go, that's how it should be. 
that seems right. There should, the, the, the church is best when it's including and it's welcoming people and, it, and it's leveling the ground that people walk on. We see this in his, his joyful tenderness towards the wounded. This is a pope who's reminding people that the primary work of the church is to be an instrument of Christ reconciling grace and love. This is a direct quote from Pope Francis. He says it's to be a field hospital. This is the church's mission. To be a field hospital on the battleground of life. I love it. He models this idea by touching and embracing those who have known rejection and pain for too long. He invited the homeless men and their pets to his birthday party. He has served communion to divorced women. And you know, if you're in the Catholic tradition, you know that's a big deal. He's embraced atheist leaders as children of God. He spontaneously picked up hitchhikers in his Pope mobile. How cool is that? And he's allowed children who wander on the papal stage while he's addressing the crowd to give him a hug and sit on his chair. And we see a window, I believe, in that behavior into the nature and character of God. And I wonder what a watching world looks at the Protestant church and goes, do I see that same kind of openness? Or do I see them just reminding who's in and who's out and who's right and who's wrong? One time Jesus was um, hanging out with a group of people and one guy asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you're familiar with this story, you know that Jesus answers the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this gentleman quickly says, oh, 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 Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because see, I think that's part of our human nature. We want to know. Who deserves my love? Is it those people that don't vote like me? What about those people who who practice a different sexual ethic than I do? I don't have to love them, do I? What about those people whose skin color is different than mine? What about the immigrants? We don't have to love the immigrants, do we? Don't we have to kind of stand against them? After all, they're taking all our jobs. See, I don't know what you do with that, but that probably makes some of us uncomfortable because we're so used to pushing the political side of our belief system at the cost of the kingdom theology. And what I'm challenging us to do this morning is to make sure your understanding of the church sets your political temperature, not the other way around. One day when Jesus is talking, he's so passionate about this, he begins to illustrate his point. And he says, now there which of these? And he tells this story of a man that was beaten and left for dead. And a priest walks on this man, sees, what he, sees this man in the ditch, and he walks away. He's like, you know, that guy's unclean. You know, I, don't, I don't think we should get near that unclean guy. And then a Levite, who was part of the heritage of, of the Jewish nation, walks in and he goes, this could be a setup, because it was, it was a dangerous situation. This road was common for people to be, you know, hurt and taken advantage of. So he's like, I don't know, I'm not very familiar with this, so I'm going to step away. And then of all the people to come up on this man was a Samaritan. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Obviously, he's not going to go well. He's not going to do the right thing, because he doesn't know God. 
And the Samaritan steps in the ditch. And he binds this man's wounds. And at great cost and sacrifice to his safety, he takes care of this man. And Jesus ends the story with four of the most troubling words in all the Gospels. He says this in the verse, verse 37. The man replied when he's trying to understand, who did it right then? He says, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus says these troubling words to them and to us. Now go and do the same. Stop talking about mercy and go and do mercy. Stop talking about people in the ditch and get in the ditch. Stop leaning into the ditch and go, come on, get a job. Why, how'd you end up in that ditch? I bet their family, I bet they're about the whole generation of people in the ditch. You know what? Why don't you pull yourself up by the bootstraps? No. Get in the ditch. And I am, I'm just honored and challenged by my Catholic brothers and sisters who have gotten in the ditch for the poor. They, they, have, they have gotten in the ditch for the sanctity of human life. And, and I'm challenged by that. And as a church, we're doing something right now that I'd like to give you, kind of give you an action step to do is we're collecting food for our neighbors in need. And there's a few of these bags left. And I would love for you this week to go to grocery store. And when you're buying food for your family and yourself, and you're grateful that you've got all these choices, take a few cans, put them in there, and let's give them to our neighbors in need. Let's go and do. Let's go and do. We should never see our food pantry run down. Not in this time in our culture. It should never happen. Number four. Number four. I appreciate how the Catholics have helped me to engage liturgy and the sacraments reverently. Reverently. Now, before we kind of just write off liturgy, because, you know, we're, we're Protestants, we think we don't, have any liturgy. We actually do. Because, see, liturgy by its definition is a form or a formulary according to which worship is conducted. So, basically, it's a form. That's all it is. And 4C, every church has a liturgy to it. Will sings a couple songs. We have hosts come up and say, welcome. We pull out the connect card. We do this every week. Then Pastor Ben preaches a message, and at the end of it, he says, I want you to take some bold steps. He does that every week. You can set your clock to it. You can understand that when he's turning to his left, here we go, he's grabbing the connect card. Get out your connect card, honey. Act like you're writing something, because he's looking at us, right? And then how does he end? Let's stand 
And say our, come on, four seers, what does he do? Benediction. Here's our closing prayer. What is that? That's a liturgy. That's a liturgy. And we, we have a very interesting challenge, much like our Catholic brothers and sisters, to not let the liturgy grow cold, but to see it as a, as a, as a vehicle by which we say that's an important because it's a tool that helps me connect to God. The minute I start to think I don't need any bold steps is the minute my heart closes off to being a son that says, God, inspire me. Inspire me. Challenge me. I don't want to drive away and go, I got nothing out of that. Nothing out of that. So, the, so I want to just challenge us this week and even today and through the remaining weeks to think through the lens of hey, how can I appreciate and conclude this experience I've had with God by growing closer to him. So I thought what we do today is finish this message by practicing one of the sacraments of both of our expressions of faith. The sacrament of communion. So in a few minutes, the band's going to join. The ushers are going to make their way to get the elements. Uh, so we'll, we'll see some wrestling around. So don't, don't get lost or caught up in all that. But it's very interesting. And there, there are differences here around this table of its meaning and, and actually what happens. For our Catholic friends, they believe in something called transubstantiation. It's a huge word, but it basically says that the idea that these elements that we hold, the bread and the wine, literally become the blood of Jesus and the body of Christ. We would not agree with that. That that is not our practice. That is not how we interpret Scripture. Then there's consubstantiation, that Jesus Christ surrounds the elements, that he's spiritually present but that he's not in the elements, that those elements don't become him. Then the other practice that's around is that there's one of a memorial, that these symbols are not affected by this ritual. Now, those those are important distinctions, but you don't have to spend a Sunday yelling about them, Right? Because here's where I think we can all agree. Something happens powerfully in communion. Jesus himself instituted this. So when we gather around the Lord's table, when we're doing, we're doing what our Savior told us to do. This is a holy moment. This is a holy moment. And I think Protestants have, at the cost of the holy moment, have made it kind of an add-on or an afterthought. And have lost the mystery and the awe in the sense of we're doing something that has happened since the ancient, since the early foundation in the ideas of the church. We're celebrating Jesus' death and his resurrection. Well, Paul was so adamant about this that he wrote this in the church to the Corinth. He said, a person, that's you or me, ought to examine himself then and so, and not so they eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What does that mean, Andy? I don't know, but it's not good. (laughs) I'm not sure I understand all that, but I'm going to examine myself. 
You know what that means for me? I just open my hands and I say, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. I don't want to eat this in an unworthy manner. You know what that is, Lord. You love me. You don't want that for me either. But I don't walk up to you and hey, how you doing, man? Man, those bangles, they were killer, weren't they? Yeah, well, yeah. Woo, that wine is a little bitter, isn't it? Don't do that. Engage. Challenge yourself to be open to something different. It's interesting. Jesus dies. The story looks like it's failed. There's a couple followers walking to Emmaus one day. And they're discouraged, man. All the hope is kicked out of them. After all, God said he'd you know, rule and reign, and it looks like he's dead. And he died, and he's in the grave. And we read in Luke this exchange that the resurrected Savior has with his friends. He walks with them, and, and he's trying to understand what happened, and they don't get him. They don't recognize him. They're like, you haven't heard what happened to Jerusalem? Are you kidding me? And it wasn't until they took bread... And Jesus, and the scripture tells us, they broke it. And then in Luke, it says this. Look at Luke here, right where he says it. Then he gave it to them. And what happened? Their eyes were opened. Wow. That's Jesus. Maybe your eyes are closed today. Maybe they need to be opened. Maybe before, you know, you come to the table, you just need to say, Lord, have my eyes closed to the poor? Have I kind of lost my way, Lord, and I've lost my focus and my gaze upon your beauty, your honor, your glory? Would you, Lord, open my eyes to that? Maybe your eyes have never even been opened to the idea that there's a personal God who's holy, who did not sin, who sits on a throne, and his enemies will be his footstool, but yet he wants to be your friend. And maybe you'd say, Andy, my eyes have never opened to that reality. And today could be that day. Perhaps you would, you would say, you know, Andy... What I have done, honestly, as I think about this and I reflect on where I am, I've kind of distilled God down to a riddle to be solved and not a relationship to have. I'm so angry because he won't do what I say he should do. He hasn't fixed my marriage. He hasn't healed my kids. He hasn't given me the job. And I'm just mad. I've been there. This is a church filled with people that have struggled with that. But I believe something can happen as you bring that before the Lord. And he can open your eyes to a new reality. So let's take out our connect cards. And we're going to take some bold steps. The band's going to make their way here on stage. And then I'm going to invite you to take communion. And Pastor Will will close the service down. And we will say our benediction. But before we do that, let's take some steps together. And that first is, if you'd say, you know, Andy, I want to, 
I want to invite Christ into my life. I want him to lead and forgive my life. Then check next step A. And we'll follow up with you and we'll celebrate that significant change in your position, your relationship with God. And then you will be able to take communion as a, as a son, as an, as an adopted son into the family. It'll be a wonderful experience for you. Perhaps you need to be baptized. You've never been water baptized. We'd love to follow up with you. And if you're interested in that or you'd like to do that, check box B. I will follow up with you or one of our staff will. Step C might be a step that you need to take. And this is simply where you say, you know what, Andy, I'm going to practice with God's help to be much more of a student than a critic of the people and the things I don't understand. I'm going to ask, I'm going to say when somebody says something I don't agree with, hey, tell me more. That's interesting. I don't think I fully understand. Tell me more about that. And I'm going to let them talk. And I'm not going to use social media to bully those people I don't agree with. Because I'm going to use my words as the Benedict mix. I'm going to use them wisely. So check step C. If I think all of us could just engage that at a deeper level. If you pull out the um, on your card, on your chair, is this card. You'll see some groups that are starting on the back. We're having discussion groups relative to this subject. I'm having one tomorrow morning, 6.30 a.m., right over here. I'd love all the guys to join me. Here's some discussion groups that you could be a part of, because you probably have a faith tradition and an experience, and you have questions. You're like, Andy, wait a minute. You didn't answer this. You didn't. How do I reconcile this? Well, we're going to have questions and conversations around this subject for the corresponding weeks. So here's some groups you could join. There's mine and there's others. There's times there. You're welcome to go to them. But the next step is that I want to highlight is this last one. It says rooted going deeper. What I've realized is our conversation today is just going to stir up all kinds of stories. There's so much to this story. So Pastor Ben is going to host a one-night lecture. And he's going to walk us through church history. It is so rich and powerful. We've gotten the dates wrong because it says September. So guess what? It already happened. You missed it. No, it's in November. So you've got time. It's the same, the date, November 16th. This is a Monday. It'll be right here. But I'd like for you to check it because if you're going to come, we need to prepare for you. So you've got some ways to engage. So check bold step D. And then check bold step E if you're going to join one of those discussion groups. Let's pray and then let's take communion and let's just thank God for our brothers and sisters of the Catholic faith. And next week we'll learn how to celebrate and honor those in the Lutheran faith. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Would you pray with me? Father, as we start this series, our hearts just open up to a very powerful and rich history. I'm praying for my Catholic friends today who are in mass all over the world, who are lifting up the name of Jesus through the reading of scripture and liturgy. And and, uh, God, I pray that you just be present there as you are present here. And God, as for this church, we want to be a community of faith that you look at and you say, they are practicing my desire to find and express unity. 
remove the divisiveness that takes root in our hearts. And as we gather around this table, would, our, would you just open our eyes to the things and the mysteries and the sense of awe that you have provided in who you are. And may we become mature and strong and trusting in that greatness of your nature.